0: Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of our podcast. I'm Michael and I'm Ben and we are the Armchair Fs. Take a seat and join us. So Ben, it was another incredible weekend of sport so let's not waste any time Let's jump straight into our armchair analysis.
1: So here's an opinion for you. England are the best team in the Northern Hemisphere.
0: Oh. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> I will firmly disagree with that opinion. even Despite the fact that you are the only team from the Northern Hemisphere in the semifinals, I think if you went up against Ireland or France right now, you would not win.
1: Nah, not right now. They're busy they're busy just crying their sorrows away. I reckon we'd have them today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't even in the same country to compete <laughs>
1: yeah, it would just be like their fans left over kicking conversions in the street.
0: <laughs> yeah, all the ones that bought tickets to the finals. <laughs> I think so many of them have. They're so keen. I know. Could you imagine, like, you know, going on like the secondhand websites? Now, I, this know uh, this actually raises another good question. If your team doesn't make it to the finals, like semi-final or final, do you still go, or do you reckon you know you could probably sell them for like really good value?
1: Mate, I'm going. How many how many World Cup finals are you going to go to? No way, my yeah. Saying.
0: But then, like, I'm, like someone could come and offer you an absolute bag for your ticket.
1: It depends where in the month it is versus when I get paid. I'm gonna be like, <laughs> I can do one, but <laughs> you know, mid-month, second half of the month, I'm probably yeah. gonna bite his hand off.
0: Yeah, because it was also like it's not just a ticket. You got to think about like accommodation and travel and all that sorts of things. But anyway, tell me why do you think England are the best team in the Northern Hemisphere? Only
1: ones left, mate. Oh, we are literally <sighs> the only Northern Hemisphere team that can hack a quarterfinal.
0: Yeah, uh, but that's just a luck of the draw, no?
1: Well, Ireland have never hacked a quarter final,
0: So <laughs> hey, I feel so bad for Ireland that this joke has to continue for another four years.
1: <laughs> hey, to be fair, though, while we're talking about Ireland, congratulations to uh. You know, Mr Klein, who is the first Irish player to every <laughs> semi-final.
0: <laughs> Imagine that the, the Springboks just throw him on the bench just so he gets a cap in the semi-final to rub some salt into the wound to Irish rugby. Oh, dear. I don't think you are the best Northern Hemisphere team. I think the, the, the draw just has worked out in your favour. Um, and, you, yeah... But you are the only ones that managed to get it done. So there might be some truth to your claim.
1: Exactly. And you never know, we could get it done again this weekend. I am not confident, but I am hopeful. And that is what matters. Um, I'm, yeah, but,
0: oh, but have you learnt nothing from when we talked about Scotland over the weekends of the pool stages? Hope is what kills you.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's true, but... Like all England fans, I'm going to be tuning in, believing that we're going to win. So
0: that's what matters. And do you think that the the Irish, the Welsh and the Scottish fans, are they going to get behind you and support England this weekend? As some papers have suggested they do.
1: I'd love them to. I'd absolutely love it if they did. But I can't see it happening. I just can't.
0: There's no way, right?
1: You know who's getting behind us though, the French.
0: Oh, I don't know if they will. I don't know. and I reckon they'll still back the Springboks. I think their hatred for England is going to be greater than the hatred of their team getting knocked off. If you ask them, like, Sunday night, they're supporting England all the way. But now they've kind of calmed down. You know, if they've settled back into their work week, I reckon they'll come to their senses. Mate,
1: I'll tell you what. So, obviously, I was in France at the Mm game. Celebrating afterwards in the bar. Um, chatting to the Frenchman who actually owns the bar, I didn't realize, and he was like, Oh, if France don't win it, I want you guys to win it. And then he was celebrating with me, gave me a free shot, and literally in the bar, he handed me a baguette and went, Enjoy! <laughs> <laughs> <not even> <laughs> and my sister was just looking at each other
0: like, Get <laughs> in. That's ridiculous. But what if what if that's just a great tactical ploy? Because after the baguette and the free shot, did you buy more drinks? Did of course. Exactly. So maybe this is just like a marketing ploy from him thinking, what if he went round to you know every Irish fan in the bars did the same thing? And Mm -hmm. he just got like an endless supply of baguettes in the back, just ready to give out to the tourists.
1: Love
0: it. If <laughs> it works, it works. Yeah, can't 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 fault in there. Um, yeah, I don't know. We should probably we might ever have to ask some French people to see what they think. But why don't you tell us a bit more? You were there. You managed to just go to two quarterfinals. Let's start us off with uh, how it was.
1: Yeah, unbelievable, mate. When we said before the tournament that France is probably the place where rugby is thriving the most. Oh mm. my God, do they love it so? Um, the Wales-Argentina game, I was I was at first, and like there was loads of Welsh there, a few English there, loads of French there, and not many Argentinians. And mm-hmm. the Argentinians were loudest, but closely followed by the French. They are just having the time of their lives watching the World Cup. I mean, they've been mm-hmm. on that, so who knows what's going to happen, yeah. but...
0: Yeah, I wonder. I really wonder if we're gonna, you know, hear those French national anthems uh, sung again in the semi-final and quarterfinals. And I hope, I hope to the Lord above that we don't, because it annoys me. <laughs> but maybe this is all they've got going for them now, so maybe I'll let it slide.
1: Yeah, they, they've all been learning the English national anthem. They're ready, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> this weekend.
0: No, do you know what? Actually, just a quick note. I did think. I um the national anthems were much better this weekend. I think it was for the two games on Sunday, they were better. The Saturday games they were still a bit off, and the timings of the the children's choir that they had in person to like, like when the the lads and the rest of the stadium was singing it. But we're taking steps in the right direction, yeah. so it's a good thing.
1: So, as an orphan hater, you feel a bit better about yourself. Than that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the children there were still the same orphans they recorded the previous ones, and I hope that they weren't. Um, but I'm just—I'm proud of their efforts. They're—they're they're showing their resilience. they are uh, they're getting up, you know, week in, week out, studying their craft, making sure they get it right. It's
1: true. It's true. But on to the games. Let's let's start with the first game, Wales Argentina. What did you think?
0: This kick started the weekend, right? And we know how great the weekend was, but I think it's fair to say that before all the games kicked off, this fixture was probably that there was less hype around this one. Although that that was just my perception, because everyone was so hyped about Fiji managed to get out of the group and Mm -hmm. like with the flair they come in, and the other two games, we don't even need to talk about the hype that they brought. So I'm glad that. Wells Argentina provided the fireworks that it did um and again it was one of those games that went down to the final 10 minutes and I love that knockout games go down to like the final 10 minutes or five minutes or final two minutes because I think that's what knockout is all about is being the best on the park for 80 minutes not just you know blowing them out in the first you know 20 30 minutes and just smooth sailing
1: yeah, it's true, it's true. But while we're on this game, what happened to Yako Piper?
0: Mate. Oh no, I forgot about my boy Piper. Oh it's sad to see, isn't it? It was it was horrible. I've actually never seen I, I don't think I've actually seen a ref be injured that badly like that. Hey,
1: it literally looked like he got like, I don't know, just like taken out. Someone sat on the roof of the stadium. just,
0: But it's it's so good. You know, he was like, he called both captains like, boys, I'm sorry. I've done my calf. I've got to go. I can't, I can't ref this game fairly, but it brings a good point. And I'll ask you the question, you know, how much do you think it actually influenced the entire game? And what I mean by that is we know that the refs uh, get scheduled, they would get released earlier on in the week. The teams can kind of prep because refs have their own tendencies. So a lot of prep will have gone into how does Jaco Piper actually, you know, ref the game and, you know, what can their captain do to get some sort of advantage? And then you had Carl Dixon come on. So what type of impact do you reckon that actually had?
1: I think in the game it had a big impact, but I don't think it's an excuse for anyone. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The the day, Carl is also an international ref that's refed. Wales before and they were kind of losing it in the second half, the rub of the green or whatever. Like, it's not like they've never met this guy and they don't know what he's doing. So, And it's rugby at the end of the day. Like It might change the limits, but it's changed for both teams, so it's not like it's an unfair advantage to anyone.
0: Um, also, I, I agree with you. I think I'd also have the opinion that I would want to play a, a game of rugby as much as possible that's out of the ref's hands so yeah. you just got you play a way that you're not waiting on the the, the contingencies of how he's refing, you know on the day and I know you know there's only so much you can do but I think it's a very valid point but you know you were there in the stadium how did Wales and Argentina look from the stands?
1: Hey, it was just a cracking game to be honest like But I I thought in the stadium that Argentina looked better almost throughout, even like Mm -hmm. the early stages where the points were going against them. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, you kind of back it up from the stats. They had more territory, more possession. I'm pretty sure they had like more post-contact meters, Mm -hmm. more turnovers um, and more points at the end of the day. So well-deserved winners.
0: Yeah, but, but I mean, I think it was almost the tail of two halves because I'm pretty sure they weren't winning at half time. They were 10 6 down at half. Because obviously, in the beginning half, you had uh, Dan Biggest scoring his try, you know, underneath the post from that, you know, amazing uh, little break. Because we're seeing a lot of it more. I don't know if you, uh, for the people listening, but there's a lot of obviously when the player, the ball is going one direction, like the scrum half passing off his left. Everyone's almost thinking it's going to carry on going left, left, left. We see it increasingly more now. They'll go one pass to the left and then they'll drift the defense one way and then they'll have like somebody like steaming onto it that's like ready for that inside pass to kind of go through. And that's exactly what George North and Dan Bigger did. You know, there was that coordination there that eventually led to the try.
1: It was, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, And like Wales definitely looked good at times, but. Well, I think the biggest thing they let them down is the set piece. Like, mm. they have players that can do amazing things, but when you can't throw straight in a line out and you can't scrum, you're going to lose the game.
0: Yeah, it just, you're just constantly on the back foot and you can never, those those set pieces are so crucial to you know, setting that attacking platform for your backs. And if it's just, yeah, it's it's really, really tough. Also, like another big moment I was thinking about, um, it was in the first half, was Josh Adams, his late hit off the ball. So I'm keen to hear your thoughts. What, what do you think? Was penalty the right decision? And just kind of break down the incident for people that didn't watch it.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of knock on, the play's over, and um, Josh Adams just like puts his shoulder in. It's just so unnecessary. Um. Mm-hmm. Hey, I think it's, yeah, penalty. fair enough, like, I don't think it should have been anything worse but like you know you should deserve to get punished by cheap shots and stuff like that it's it's just not good sportsmanship you know what I mean
0: I think there was also I'm pretty sure Carl Dixon had said that he saw that there was a rap I didn't see a rap and I agree it should definitely have been at least a penalty if it was a yellow card I think it would have been a fairly harsh one but I wouldn't have questioned it too much because it was just so unnecessary. It was a shoulder into the chest. It could have so easily ridden up into, you know, shoulder, head. It's just, it was no need. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, you get what you deserve, and he did something wrong and got punished for it. So the other big moment is um, the head contact or not head contact. on oh, Nick Tompkins. Um, I think that was actually a good decision, but I'd be interested to hear your, your thoughts, mate.
0: Yeah, um, and this was the instant where Carl Dixon was like, you know, not all head contacts is a foul play. Yeah. And when I initially, when I was watching it um, in real time, I was a huge fan of Carl Dixon and, you know, him having the the confidence to say that and make that call. And also um, the TMO for also helping him explain it. In my eyes, I'm not sure. I can't remember who, it might've been Petty the lock for Oggetti and it was coming in to clear him out. In my eyes, he wasn't clearing out Nick Tompkins. You know, he, I think it was Adam Beard that was like right next to him. Yeah. And then at the same time, like the tackle was just falling because obviously Adam Beard and Nick Tompkins were trying to hold the guy up to create a more, he managed to fall down on his knees. So he's he's not looking, Petty's not looking at them. He's like head down, you know, getting in that clear out position. And then Nick Thompson is kind of fallen, and he's in his head. Like, there's definitely enough mitigation there for me to, yeah, to not be a yellow. However, in saying that, I'm very surprised that there wasn't a penalty towards Wales.
1: Yeah, I think there was penalty advantage anyway, though. So, you know what I mean? If you give a penalty, you kind of go back to the first one.
0: But Uh, if it's foul pay, surely you could reverse the penalty advantage. Like, surely that would supersede the offside penalty that was uh, previous.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I guess so. But, yeah, I think it's just one of those things that happens. Like, we can't criticise the refs. They make the judgment, like, tough jobs. And um, they might get something wrong every now and then. But I think the better team will on the day. So I think it will work out.
0: So hang on, so do you agree with the call or do you disagree with the call?
1: I agree with the call in principle, but I disagree with it as in how consistent it's been with the rest of the calls.
0: Okay, that's fair enough. And obviously that was such a big moment as well because Nick Tompkins then had to go off for a HIA and rightly so because he did get head contact. But then you could imagine how that then disrupted everything because I think Sam Costello had to come on, which then shifted... I can't remember if him or Dan Bigger went to to 12, but obviously you can imagine the frustration from the Welsh camp at that point.
1: Yeah, do you know what? I I, I could be wrong, but I kind of thought there was a bit of gamesmanship in that, HIA, you know? Interesting. Normally when they're independent doctors, they take a minute or two to have a look. He was straight off. It's almost like management call, team doctor. You didn't give us anything and now he's come off. It's like trying to win the favour of the ref, but... I've got nothing to back that up. That was just my initial thought at the time. Because <laughs> there have not been many HIAs and there's been worse head contact.
0: Yeah, there there have been. Uh I agree. I, I don't know. I thought he was legit HIA. I mean he did come back on mm-hmm. uh you know ten minutes later. So I, I, I'm I'm not really into it too much. Um but going going back towards the game, I think a standout player on the Argentinian side um was Kremer, the mm. number seven. Like, I thought he was absolutely sensational. I thought, to be honest, just um, Argentina's back row were just phenomenal. They were all over the park on both sides of the ball. Like, they they just... You could imagine that they would be feeling absolutely dead after the game and their recovery had to be, you know, immense.
1: It was wild. They had put in a shift and they are peaking at the right time. You know what I mean? They... Especially the back row looked pretty poor against England. And, you know, they were ridiculous this weekend. You know, hopefully mm-hmm. they didn't have a cracker next weekend.
0: And it's just so good to see them be much better than they were against that opening night against England. I, I had, personally, I had such high hopes for Argentina coming into the comp and I thought that they were going to comfortably beat England that opening night. Um, so I'm glad that they've managed to find their form now. Although I do think it's gonna be short lived, but we'll get into that. Um but yeah, who who's another standout player in your eyes?
1: You know, King Boff, He was he's always good, but you know, last week it was all about Carreras on the other wing, but but fairly he was slotting his kicks, he was making meters, he, he looked really good.
0: I agree, and I think there was a 53 meter penalty kick. So it was like in his own half that he slotted over straight in front of the post but still from that distance it was incredible and i think that was like a massive turning point point. and i know you'll be able to speak on this more but i could feel the argentinian energy like coming through this you know through the tv when the moments were good and there was like particular beginning at like the first 15 20 minutes of the second half it was all argentina
1: their fans literally unbelievable but like, noise like T-shirts waving, like you can just see them in the crowd. L- unbelievable! I mean, what a lift that would have given the players because they were just so loud. Yeah, you would have you heard it through the TV. It was it was mental.
0: Yeah, because obviously that's when they I think they started to take the lead for the first time after trailing it um, in the second at the beginning of the first half. So yeah, I think Buff is just he's so good um, and. I think what I do want to talk about, and I think this is a, going to be a, a common theme across all the games we're going to talk about, but Nicolas Sanchez and Augustus Augustin Crevy coming on late into the game to seal it out. How good was their experience and how important was it to have them on the pitch to seal out the game?
1: The experience they've got is ridiculous um, between them. I actually was speaking in my Spanish AS level about those two players. Uh, no way. So, what's that eight years ago, nine years ago? Like, they've been around for so long and been so good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, I kind of, it's, it's really good because it shows that there's still a role for these players because even though they might not play, you know, the 80 minutes now, you can just. Knowledge that they've acquired over the years, they can pass on during camp, you know, during the team talks and on game day. And it was Nicola Sanchez that, you know, scored the winning try. And when I watched it, the highlights back, I wanted to like see how he saw the play and just his ability to. So it was obviously off a of scrum that was in Wales's half and they just immediately went into midfield. But what was so crucial that allowed Nicolas Sanchez, uh, what well, to make that defensive read was the replacement nine, Velez. He kind of, he wasn't standing next to the scrum half like in that scrum. He was kind of like defending behind. So it meant that as soon as the ball went away, he could run straight into midfield. Because it was Sam Costello and Nick Tompkins that was coming up flat against the line with Thomas Williams coming behind. So that's three Welsh players in like a tight group where anybody of those any one of the three could have you know get the ball but because I think it was Maroni and Sanchez ready in midfield and then Velez came across it was 3v3 so it allowed Nick Sanchez to jump through the gap to go intercept the ball because he knew that Velez was covering his entire to tackle Castello if he had kept the ball and if it went to Nick um, Nick Tompkins that Maroni would then get the ball and it started a bit much. <laughs> a bit. Of a, uh, a bit. There's, there's the armchair analysis when I had a look, um, but yeah, just a stunning moment to kind of to seal the deal for them.
1: And we can talk about this game forever because they were all so good. But I think we've got to move on, like time wise.
0: Yeah, we do. We do. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So take take us into the next game, Ben.
1: How good were the All Blacks? Oh my. They were unbelievable.
0: I'm, I'm genuinely speechless. You, you, you kick us off. Where do you want to begin with this one?
1: Mate, I love the old blacks. but I want to start off with the chat at the end of the game, actually. Um, <laughs> so good. Um, I mean, Johnny Sexton and Pedro uh, Omani in particular for Ireland love just giving it this. All game, to the team, <laughs> off and all that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, hearing that the All Blacks kind of turned back to him and said, four more years, you're done, and all of that. Oh, you got to love it.
0: Yeah, I heard that Rico Urani, when they were shaking hands, said, um, enjoy retirement, mate, and don't miss the flight home. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so unnecessary after the game. <laughs>
1: but if you dish it out, you got to take it. Like, you Absolutely. Absolutely. So fair play to New Zealand for getting back in.
0: Yeah, what what do you think it what do you think it was that made this game so good?
1: I think it's all been building from Ireland winning down in New Zealand. Mm. Ever since then, they've well, they said they've been holding on to it, and then mm. both teams, because like, Ireland have been unbelievable this tournament. Like fuel in New Zealand, they were just flying at each other. The physicality, but like the skill. Mm it was literally just unbelievable to watch
0: i i agree the 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 irish series win a year and a half ago that damaged the pride that new zealand have because you know that to win a series down under um in new zealand is like unheard of mm. and it would have been marked on everybody's calendar they you know the coaches kind of predict you know who's going to come through what and yeah, I, this is definitely the grudge match for them. And again, like we were saying in previous weeks, everybody was writing off the All Blacks. They mm-hmm. that opening night against Paris in uh sorry, against France in Paris. Everyone thought, yeah, no, New Zealand aren't up to scratch. Uh Ireland are definitely gonna be the favourites. Um But I I think what I would like to say is that Ireland Ireland's squad rotation. Or lack of, I should say, came back to bite them. In my opinion, I mm. think there were just some tired legs out there.
1: Yeah, Johnny Sexton at the end just looked like dead in his feet. Mm-hmm. But he also just hasn't needed to play eighty minutes. Like I don't, I can't even remember the last time I saw Sexton on after seventy minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and like he doesn't play a lot for Leinster, so I don't even know if that's fatigue or if it's just not he's not got eighty minutes in him.
0: I I don't know. I think he, yeah, it's a good point. I do, I think he does have it in him. I think that final play was what, like 37, maybe 40 phases of rugby. So I think any athlete would have been tired at that point. But I think that Irish attack right at the end just looked really, really flat and just Mm -hmm. really predictable. But Ireland normally attack with such pace and Everybody knows their role and it's just like there's cogs all working in the system whereas it just they weren't challenging their the, the all-back defense as much as they would have done or what they did do in the previous 79 minutes. A key player for me that I thought silenced any critics um and doesn't get his recognition enough as of late was Sam Kane. I thought his performance was out of this world.
1: He's been bashed for a few years now. Um, Omani said he's just a shit Richie McCall, but bloody hell. He was, I think that's the best game I've ever seen him play.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt.
1: He showed up. And like to be fair, with the winning teams like all weekend, all of the big players showed up. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, talking to you and you saying Sam Kane was unbelievable. Ardy Survey had looked Ridiculous! Scored his try. Um, mm-hmm. Moanga was unbelievable. The way he was kind of like the attack. Jordy Barrett and his try-saving tackle. Oh. Everyone oh. showed up. It was unbelievable.
0: Yeah, and actually, just just to go back on highlight something else as well. The obviously you've got Richie, Jordy Barrett, and Broden Barrett, and all three of them have different kicking responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So obviously Geordie Barrett is for those like long range penalties or conversions. But then it's typically Richie that's the doing the conversions after the try or kind of like um yeah, like kind of closer range ones. And then you've got Bowden Barrett, he does the kickoffs. So Hmm. it's so they must just be you know, the, the the amount of like master plan that they can go in because all three of them can kick so well that, you know, even in open play it means the positioning, yeah, anyway, it's just they have just got an overload of skill.
1: I agree, but also not just the skill, like, we're talking about the set piece in the last game like Ireland didn't win a scrum Yeah
0: Like, unbelievable.
1: Everyone's saying the Kiwi type 5 is, you know, a bit average, nothing but, oh god, did they look good. I also think they briefed um, Barnsey really well. On yeah, that. yeah, for sure. That was some unbelievably smart coaching because, and him first doesn't get his due, but yeah, they won a lot of penalties from that.
0: Yeah, so just for people that might not be you know as aware, so Andrew Porter is the loose head for for Ireland, and he's he's a young guy, lots of talent, and a very very exciting prospect. But so with his scrummaging, a lot of people think that sometimes sometimes he will like step out slightly and then push in an angle, which then seems like he's getting dominant over the his tight head that he's going up against. But it's obviously illegal to come in at the side. And he got blown up for that like twice within like the first like 10 minutes. Um so somebody definitely highlighted that to, to Wayne Barnes.
1: And to be fair, it is true. Like he's been caught out now, and I think it's actually going to be a bit of a problem for Ireland going forwards.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think he he's talented enough. He'll he'll look back at the film, and they will. Because yeah, now that everybody knows he's getting flagged up for it, I think he'll have to change it. Because there's you can't be giving away penalties like that. You know, at this at this level. Going back to set piece as well, Ireland's line out again still was really poor and it was poor against South Africa but somehow they still managed to win that game but New Zealand just managed to punish them for every mistake that they had.
1: And no handling errors in New Zealand. I, mean, I don't even know
0: <laughs> not not even one knock on. Like that is unbelievable. That that's what the Allbacks like found themselves on though. Just like doing the basics right and the the their, their, their skill set is just yeah, just from, you know, one to 23, it's just off the charts. And it, and it, and it showed.
1: Mm. Yeah, to be fair, fun fact, every single was won by the team that had less handling areas.
0: Really?
1: Mad, so...
0: That's that's a very good insight, Ben.
1: Yeah, if you know, you know. Whoever... <laughs> her, thank you very much. I. Uh...
0: <laughs> I'm just glad that New Zealand are back because in my eyes they never left and like I said I would have I was glad that we faced France uh, like South Africa faced France in the quarterfinals because I knew the All Blacks were never going to be a walkover and I think a lot of people thought that they were um, and I also I, when you saw like Bundy Aki, like you know getting emotional at the end of the game it's just it's really tough You, it's the these types of games you just don't want either team to go home but yeah just a just a sensational match that went down to the wire
1: yeah you're right Mike but I mean I've got a comment I've got on Bundyaki. I think he was the best player on the pitch he was phenomenal
0: I don't think he was I think I was still going to stand Kagan but I'm um, I'm keen to hear your thoughts why you you thought Bundyaki was the best
1: hey, I just think he was massive in like all his tackles were dominant his attack like like some of his carries ridiculous, soft hands, and you know he's just he's just so good. Best Kiwi, best Kiwi on the Island team, and there's a few of them.
0: <laughs> there are there are a few of them, and it's a bit harsh to call him a Kiwi now. But how long he's actually played in Ireland and played for Ireland? Um, But yeah, you're not wrong. He's had an incredible World Cup, and I think if we were to vote of a player for the tournament. But if he got the reward, I I wouldn't blink an eye. He has just been outstanding. But I yeah, I just think the way that New Zealand defended and everything that they had because I reckon they were probably the underdogs, particularly mm-hmm. in the eyes of the media. So I think I think Ireland had a lot more to lose. They were mm-hmm. the number one team for the past fifteen months. They had never made a quarterfinal, a uh, semifinal. Sorry, they had all these you know players like Keith Thurls, Johnny Sexton, all on their swan songs they were going to retire and they have retired you know since um exiting so yeah for me you know, New Zealand were just uh, simply outstanding
1: yeah 17 game win streak lost as well in that game for Ireland so
0: oh exactly because they would have if they won that they would have tied the record
1: yeah well final curse strikes again see you later
0: indeed <laughs> indeed but speaking of another team that has had an 18-match winning streak in the past, oh. England went up against Fiji.
1: Oh, right. You, you must be a big England fan. Um, yeah. <laughs> no. Being at that game was ridiculous. Like, the fans as well. Like, it was all the English cheering on England, absolutely loving it. All the mm-hmm. French in Fijian shirts, cheering for Fiji. Oh, mate, it was great. It was great.
0: This game is so frustrating. It it turned well towards the end. Fiji kind of like woke up and uh, actually managed to start playing some good rugby. Um, I think I was just really gutted that Fiji didn't come flying out the gates as, they, as I was expecting them to. I was just really disappointed because... They just made England look way better than I think that they actually are.
1: I'm not having any of that. England have had so many questions and they keep winning. So until they lose, I'm I'm on the England hype train. Yeah,
0: hey, they, they are the only unbeaten team left in the competition.
1: So if we lose any game, we've lost as many as the champs. So basically, we should just be awarded first place anyway.
0: <laughs> in. Like... Absolutely not. But that's crazy to think, because let's say if you do lose and when you lose against South Africa this weekend, Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: means that the winner of the World Cup will have, you know, done the same feat that South Africa did in 2019. Because obviously in 2019, it was the first time anybody had lost a pool game and gone on to win the World Cup. So it's gonna happen again if England get knocked out. Well,
1: writing us off, mate. We're coming through. We're coming through.
0: <laughs> I'm not writing you off. Well, I know I lie. I am.
1: <laughs> yeah. So to be fair, again, like I think the best team won. I think Fiji got a couple of tries in a short period. It. I tell you what, I was, I was getting sweaty. I'm not gonna lie.
0: I was. It was amazing to watch. I won't
1: really lie. It was, it was awesome. Oh, mate. I, I was like, oh no, this is. It would be the most England thing ever to have a dominating for so long and then just lose it within a 10-minute period. But yeah. They the boys stay strong.
0: And I think this is where, when we talked about like Nicolas Sanchez and Krabby coming on for Argentina to see out the game, I think this showed the, you know, the wisdom that these older players can have in just how to game-manage a knockout in a World Cup. And I thought, because obviously this is Fiji's first time getting into a knockouts, you kind of saw that it was like a growing pains situation for them because I just don't think they managed their, that final 10, 15 minutes when they were they got really close. The scores got level and then England went down, looked dominant, but then Farrell sat back and just got the drop kick yeah. um, to go ahead. But that's just, you know, having been in those positions more uh, so often that I, I feel like Fiji just lacked that calm head to, yeah, just to see them through it.
1: Shout out to Fiji because like, they were so, like, all tournament, everyone loves them. You know, they've been good, play exciting stuff. And, yeah, hopefully they can come stronger next time. But, yeah, I'm just glad they didn't this time. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm sure, but if we if we just dissect, why do you think England was so much better this weekend? What what was it that allowed them to have this performance? I
1: just think it's it's time together as a squad. It is the fact that you know we've won like five on the bounce now. It's just that inner belief because we've spoken about how good these players are and getting wins, bonding. I, I just think it's it's confidence. I think that's the big game changer. And when the quarterfinals gonna make them scary next week.
0: What about like the 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 personnel calls that have been made? So obviously you had like Tom Curry coming back and you had Farrell at 10 and Marcus Smith at 15. As an England fan, how did you know those people, their performances make you feel?
1: All three of them were so good. Like just as you've named those three, like Tom Curry, most tackles in the game. Um, body on the line. He was winding people
0: up. Should have got yellow carded, in my opinion. Ooh. The, that no-arms tackle at the shins is a Luke Cowandiki special. And I think he was very, very lucky not to get yellow carded.
1: To be fair, from where I was, it looks like um, later on where he wound Botti, I thought Botti punched him. Like, from where we... <laughs> went, I
0: was like, oh, my God, get him off. <laughs> Your body was ready to... Go. He whipped up the costs like so quickly.
1: Yeah, I think Curry is like he's got experience and he's so young. Like he's been in a World Cup final, you know, lost. finals. Yeah, well, right. I'm lost. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell the finalists. Lose, mate. We don't need that. <laughs> like Farrell was ridiculous. Like people have been calling for Ford, but like Farrell stood up and showed why he's England's ten. And mm-hmm. for all the fans that booed him. You, you need to grow up because he's one of the best players that's ever played for England.
0: Yeah, uh, I think so. And the thing is, right right now, I would be very furious if England won the World Cup. But just because, like, I think you know, you guys have you've looked, you've gotten better as the competition has gone on. But I don't think you've looked like world class. Like mm-hmm. New Zealand, Ireland, France, and South Africa have looked at certain points. But if you do go on to win it, and I really hope that you don't, it just means that you will have had to you would have had to put in two World Cup performances back-to-back because you'll have to go through South Africa They look on hot form right now. And most likely you're going to have to beat New Zealand in the final, which would take a huge thing as well. So we'll see how we go. We'll see how we go.
1: We'll see. I think whoever wins a World Cup deserves to win a World Cup. Like... You've you've just got to beat the team ahead of you on the day, and yeah, exactly. As much as I hated it last time, South Africa won and deserved to win the World Cup because of that. Even though consistently throughout the tournament, they hadn't looked like the best team. They lost a the game, mm-hmm. so if it happens this way around, then you're just going to to suck it up.
0: <laughs> yeah, I will have to suck it up, but I'm not going to happen. I'm not. It's not going to happen. So, but you know, we, we're talking about South Africa. Let's go on to the final uh, quarterfinal of the weekend, and. Oh my goodness! I I was very nervous. Like I think I was more nervous for this game than I was uh, than the twenty nineteen final.
1: This game was unbelievable, literally crazy. I can't believe that you won it. I was really thinking France were going to do it, but
0: yeah, I'm I'm still in shock. To be honest, I really am. So why did you think France were going to win it?
1: Um, I mean, before the game, I just thought, like, the settled team, you know, the questions over Manny's kicking, which was phenomenal. And just the fact they're at home with the crowd, like, there's not much between any of the, like, the top five sides. <laughs> <laughs> the top four uh-huh. sides. Like, and I just thought those small things would make the difference. But, I mean, oh my God, that game was just so good, so much skill. And to think that Probably realistically the difference between winning that was Colby charging them
0: down. Yeah, I thought you might say this. And don't get me wrong, that was such an incredible moment. I hadn't seen it in so long. I think we I think it's getting overhyped because, you know, for example, Ramos had missed another penalty, you know, just shy of the uh, the post. Like it just drifted just before um the posts and that would have been three points so he i don't think it was specifically that kick but i i agree it was such a huge moment but i just think that that moment's being overhyped where there were other french mistakes that were like so crucial
1: are you just saying that because he was offside?
0: no he wasn't right and i'm glad i'm glad you bring this up (laughs) he was offside. i've seen it. i've seen the footage as well and the rules state that as soon as he makes any movement, you're allowed to go. And I, so I actually listened to an interview of Ches and Colby afterwards. And he said that having played with Ramos for six years at Toulouse, you know, he was able to like understand his tendencies and know when he was going to like do the first movement. And shout out uh, to um, AP Rugby on, on Twitter because he actually showed this. Because the Cobus Reinach, is mm. arguably the quickest player in the box squad. And he was obviously at nine on the weekend. Mm. And I think the conversion before, Raneck tried to, he was the only one that had tried to um block yeah. Ramos's kick from the tee. But he started like way wider, as in like closer to the posts mm. and was nowhere near. So then he obviously told that to Colby and was like, look, I didn't get very close. Maybe try and go here. So then where Ramos was kicking from on like against the touchline, Colby stood right in front of him and managed to block him.
1: I'm, I'm still not convinced, but look, it's happened. We give it, we, it's gone. It doesn't matter what I think, but because uh, <laughs> there's a couple of controversial like with where purposeful knock on that, um,
0: I think that made the difference too. Look, I, I have to say, I think we had some calls go for us. I think we also had some calls go against us. And look, the even expath incident, I think, was fair. Like he's knocked it backwards. So therefore it's play on in my eyes. Mm. And all and also like Matt Pierce is like the, the commentator for Super Sport, I'm pretty sure. And he was saying in response to a comment about the exact same scenario that he has access to the comms to the referee's comms and the ref asked the TMO to check it and the TMO had all the angles and he said it went backwards as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I am just joking with these two because you know, I just want to hear what you say, but
0: <laughs> you wind me up too easily. <laughs> it's too
1: easy. But to be fair, for me, I think if you're an attacking team and you drop that, that's getting called as a knock-on, even though it might technically go backwards because you mm. drop it, it lands in front of your body, even if the direction of the ball's backwards, it's so a knock-on. But like, I don't think it was a. I don't think it was a tension knock-on, but I think it should have been scrum for arms.
0: Yeah, it's it's also interesting because you could argue, you know, is he making a a valiant effort to try and actually gather the ball, which is like where the that whole knocking on intercept mm. uh, rule comes from because now instead of going for intercepts people can just start trying to knock the ball slightly backwards and then trying to regather rather than going for the actual intercept mm. so i i do agree um but anyway let's let's move on from that i think that first half of rugby might be the what well, the whole game is probably the best game of rugby i've ever watched but particularly that first half it was absolutely insane there were six tries just in the first half, like it's completely unheard of.
1: It was just ridiculous. I, I don't even have words. Like some of the skill on the show was just phenomenal. I think like the French hooker, like Mavaka, was mm. unbelievable. Ebenezer Beth, that's probably like one of the best performances I've seen from him. Yeah, and he's one of the best second rows in the world. Yeah, it was just a huge game.
0: It it really was, and I think what what brought me so much happiness as a Springbok fan was just to see how ruthless we were on attack. So the stat I've got for you, Ben, is within that first half, so the Springbok's three scores came despite having just 99 seconds of possession in the French half. They made three entries to French 22 and scored from all three. Yeah, ridiculous. That red zone efficiency was just, is just not something we would normally attribute to the Springboks.
1: No, it's not. But that's what you need to win these games. Like, you yeah. need to be efficient because both defences are ridiculous. And, like, you know, everyone's talked up Sean Edwards and everywhere he's gone. Like, you have mm-hmm. to put most of your chances when you get them. And, and you did and you won by a point. You know what I mean? It's, it's these margins. It's crazy.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I- I'll come back to South, because obviously they-, they managed to win it. But what what did you notice from the French side? I think where we should start is, what did you think of DuPont's performance?
1: I thought he was good. I thought he was really good, actually. There was always that kind of, oh, is he going to be a bit scared? Is he going to be a bit different after his whole jaw incident? But
0: mm-hmm. I thought
1: he looked really, really good.
0: I don't know if I agree. I think he- I think he was very good. A lot of the ball went through him. I think mm. he had like a hundred and seventeen touches, like of the ball. It was like an incredible stat. I don't know. I just feel like he didn't play with as much freedom as he normally did. I don't think he commanded the show as much as he did uh, in previous games. And I don't know if that was him just you know kind of getting back into the guru things after being out and rehabbing, or just how well the Springboks defended him. And I love the selection of Kobus Reinach mm. to to start because Kobus Reinach is so quick and so is fast, but yeah. Kobus is just a bit quicker. So they didn't allow uh, DuPont to have any time, like so much time with the ball. And I also thought what was really clever was like when DuPont goes to pick up the ball from the bottom of the rucks, that is when the moment that like Khaleesi, like I've seen him do it once, where the, he would then try and counter Rook. Because then then knocks the French players into the nine. Then he picks the ball up and is stumbling backwards. So then, you know, can't get the pass off to first receiver as cleanly as possible. But man, DuPont looked so heartbroken when the final whistle blew.
1: Yeah, yeah. Gutting. Like, you know, at home, how often do you get these chances in the World Cup? I, I think I know what you're saying. Like, I think his performance was more like Aaron Smith-esque. He was just getting crisp ball playing really yes. and stuff but
0: that's a great it's yeah
1: it wasn't like the kind of DuPont like I can do everything I'm gonna I'm gonna make these ridiculous plays that we've come to see of him so but what I didn't like from him um was post match calling out the ref like I'm I'm a big believer that it, it needs to be said sometimes by like you know pundits and like refs need to be held accountable but I think for Active players and coaches, I just don't like them calling out the ref. Like Razzie's done it a few times. I've been pretty against it. Then wasn't on mm-hmm. this this time. In private, like maybe these things should be said, and and like on social media, it's gonna be mentioned anyway. I just don't like that, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I think I I kind of giving you a bit of grace because I hold the same position as you. But this World Cup meant so much to those players. Mm. You know they they were told, you know, this is their World Cup to win. This was like the golden generation of French rugby Um, and it was, you know, just written the stars that they could win it in their, you know, at their home World Cup so I could imagine the emotions that were going through all the players after the final whistle so I don't think it was right but uh, I understand understand why he may have said it. The thing is like if if Rassie said that after the Ireland game, for example, I'm sure everyone would have been calling for his head and him to get sanctioned, fined, suspended again. But nothing's going to happen to Dupont now after he's been called that. After he's called out, Bernard Keith.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, it's just something I just don't like to see. It, to be honest, I just hopefully there is something that goes on and it discourages it going forwards.
0: I agree. So I've got, I've got two final thoughts for you. The The first one was, obviously, we had, again, we had Faf de Klerk, um, Andre Pollard and Willie LaRue all come on super early in the second half. They rolled out the changes really early for South Africa because they had a game plan. They knew what was going to work. And again, it was all about having those experienced heads in the final 20, 30 minutes of the game to see out the victory, and also like Pollard uh, kicking that um, penalty from in his own half was such a huge moment for us. And I was I was um, listening to an interview of his today that um, you know they were kind of like deliberating who was gonna like what they were gonna do at the uh, at that penalty, and Bongi Mbonambi, who who is the captain, just comes up and goes posts and then he just says to he shouts at Paul and he goes this is for South Africa and he like <laughs> repeated that and he's like so Paul's like yes captain <laughs> and then he manages to slot it okay. so I I love that from him. Why was Khaleesi off so early? See I know I, it pains me that he came off so early but I think the coaches saw how vulnerable uh, the France were at the breakdown and we don't besides Dwayne Vermeulen we just don't have an out and out fetcher uh on the team. So I think he knew that Dionfurry and Quagga Smith had to come on because mm-hmm. they were just going to attack the breakdown. And we saw how good Quagga Smith was at the breakdown over the in the last like 20 minutes. So I I think I think it was all a game plan. It yeah. was all a game plan. And I just to kind of back that up, I've just got so many, I just get so excited to talk about Springbok. Um during the island game, Victor Matfield, the old Springbok captain, yeah. had texted Dwayne Vermeulen, and you know asked him, you know, you know, because Dwayne wasn't in the twenty-three, so he asked him, you know, how are you feeling? Are you fit and whatever? And apparently, Dwayne texted him back just saying, "One team, one mission." So I just love this idea that everybody knows that they have a role and they just trust their coaches and their decisions because they've obviously had four, five, five and a half years now with the coaches. They just, they all believe in each other and it's what you need to win World Cups.
1: Yeah, man, what a weird mission to go out in the semi-finals. Like, uh... Oh, hey.
0: stop it. <laughs> 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 all right, it's not going to happen. And I'll tell you what, because this is my final point. Cheson Colby... Is a big game player. Like World Cup Final 2019, Lions Series 2021, and World Cup 2023. That guy does not shy away from the big moments.
1: He turns up. I I can't deny it. He when the pressure's on, like he shines. He's ridiculous.
0: He's just he just blows me away every single time. Like, I don't think I've seen Damien Penault get that skinned for for pace before and he just like he left them in the dust oh there's just so much I could talk about Jesse Creel but I think we could talk about each of these games for an hour in themselves
1: why don't we move on to next week's I think it's only it's only fitting because I think there's going to be at least one upset next week
0: and what upset do you think that's going to be
1: well I think there might be two but I think that's a bit too bold to predict you know what I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, as an England fan, I'm back in England to make the final. You know, for better, for worse, I reckon every challenge we've had, we've turned up for. The challenges might have been smaller, but they've been overcome. And we are going to be hurting. You guys are probably a bit compl- complacent because how bad everyone says England are, you know, you beat us last time, all of that. Mm-hmm. I'm backing it. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it. It's in it's in my heart. I'm saying it's going to happen. And then, I, you know what? I feel like New Zealand have done what England did in the last World Cup. They played their final too early. Argentina beat New Zealand in New Zealand last year. No one's backing them to beat New Zealand. New Zealand got no pressure. I'd, I'd like to see it happen.
0: Well, shock that I'm going to go completely the other way to you. <laughs> <laughs> There's no chance that Argentina are beating New Zealand because I just, yeah, I think you could argue that Argentina also played their final because they had to put in a huge shift. They had a late comeback to beat, uh to beat Wales. Yeah. I don't know. Because, you know, it was only, it was 17, 17 in that quarterfinal before Nicolas Sanchez got that breakaway in the 76 minutes. So, um, no, that is New Zealand by like 500 points. Like it is going to be, it's going to be so one sided, I think.
1: I think it'll be close.
0: Do you, I don't think it'll be close. I think 500 is definitely an exaggeration, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> just, that wasn't clear. Um, I do think it'll be by like 17. I think
1: I reckon it'll be within seven, either way.
0: Nah, 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 nah. I, 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 don't, I don't think Argentina have got a chance at all. To be honest, I just, I, I think they might be able to match up in the, uh, in the forward, just in like strength wise. But I just think the backs. I think we'll see uh, New Zealand just outclass them, ten or well, nine to fifteen. And you think about like Mark Tully is coming back in now as well. So, yeah, I don't know. Nothing about the argentina side makes me believe that they'll beat new zealand
1: like, so obviously there's the like the matchups the like stats there's that side of it right in that side like new zealand bang them. but like it's such an emotional thing as well and i think that like how draining both of the like the south africa and the new zealand finals must have been to get that win whereas It might have been close for Argentina and for England, but like there was just not the same intensity. And like Argentina, after that first game, have been I don't know, I just feel like they've been building. Michael has given them like this, this whole kind of belief that they've not had before. Mm -hmm. And they know that they've beaten the All Blacks within the last like year and a half. I think, I think they could do it. Well,
0: if we apply the same logic to the other quarterfinal, you haven't beaten South Africa in, in until two years ago.
1: Still not that long. We
0: were there. We were there. <laughs> we were there. But since then, we also played one more time, and we beat you comfortably. <laughs> yeah. So we are, we are our victories even more recent.
1: But like, there's so much expectation on you to win as well. There is, but I don't think we'll care about it.
0: Like South Africa are so like I, I don't like think about it. they. This is a core cool group of guys that have been together for the past decade, and. They will have seen what had happened. I understand the emotional side. I think it's a very valid point, but I think we will have seen what had happened in twenty nineteen. How, how because what you're describing is exactly what happened to England after you know beating New Zealand in the semi final. So I think we will have learned from that, and I hope that we don't follow the same footsteps as you. And I also think that you know maybe we actually see like a rotation in the squad and we actually put some fresher legs in and we'll find out tomorrow when the team sheets gets released but yeah I think that there'll be um, some fresher legs in there to then to allow that mental fatigue to not be a factor
1: so we're already in your heads
0: no not at all not at all
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah alright talking teams I right, we're going to focus on South Africa in
0: because this
1: is the big one for us yeah um, who are you picking what, are, what changes are you making from the last game, if any?
0: Like from a South Africa side? South Africa point of view. Okay, so I'm keeping the same front row. Man, this is really tough. So I think I would definitely keep, I think I would keep everybody except Jasper Visa. I think mm-hmm. he comes in to, to eight. I don't know, maybe you could even go like Jaden Hendricks. I don't know. This is tough. Nine is a tough one. Because I think obviously the the thinking with Kirby's Rynek is we wanted to get out to a hot start. I actually wouldn't mind keeping the the Rynek 9 uh, Libok nineteen combo to start. I I wouldn't be like so surprised if we saw maybe like Kanan Moody. I'm hearing Kanan Moody coming on at thirteen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, that's what's been spreading the uh, on the on the Springbok Twitter. Um, I'm keeping Arencer and Colby as wings, and then probably we keep LaRue on the bench and have Uh Willemsa. So, so is going to stay at fifteen because he came off pretty early. So I think where the big changes. I think we'll probably go back to a six-two.
1: Mm. I
0: don't think we're going to go to a five-three. So I yeah. think that means we'll we'll be able to like bring in Jean Klein, for example, and then we saw that Bongi can go 80 minutes and he went 80 minutes against France. So whether that's going to play into, we have, we still have Fareed that maybe will come on in the last, you know, 2015. But then I reckon Quagga Smith has to be in that, on the bench, like no matter what.
1: Yeah, interesting. So you, to the starting team, your only changes are eight and 13.
0: But I I don't know if I would want to change anything because Jesse Creel looked insane against Easy. France but he's he's had like 10 stitches put in this past week because of a head clash so I don't know I'm keeping the same 15 keeping the same 15 I'm just changing the bench
1: Interesting. I'm making one change for England
0: well shock you are you going to put Freddie Stewart in for Marcus Smith
1: no Freddie Stewart for Johnny May although I think really? Marcus, has it not come out that he might be injured
0: I think he's been concussed. I think he has been ruled out.
1: Yeah, yeah. So if if he was fit, I think I'd have started with 15.
0: I would have loved that because I think that would have been a terrible mistake. Yeah. But anyway.
1: Hey, he was good last week. He put body on the line.
0: He did. He did. He, he he can't go wrong with that.
1: Everything people say he couldn't do, he did.
0: Yeah, but he only got like he only got me like nine fantasy points. <laughs> he was terrible. He was my captain. My
1: triple captain did. We don't want any of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I forgot you did that. Oh dear! Yes, yeah, so you're you're keeping everybody else the same.
1: Yeah, so I think it will be Freddie, for Smith if it is true that he's concussed. But um, otherwise I bring him on with Johnny May because I don't think Johnny May's impressed this tournament. I think he's lost like a yard of pace. Yeah, but Freddie Stewart is not that quick. But I think he offers more. Like I think he offers the crossfield kick option defensive option like controlling the backfield and stuff. I just think he offers more.
0: I don't know. I don't like the idea of him playing in the wing. I just think Marcus Smith is just he's just not a fullback. He just isn't. And but anyway, it doesn't it doesn't seem like you're gonna have that um that conundrum anyway.
1: But no, so it's gonna be a big battle.
0: Did you see that Rassi in the press conference this week, he got he got asked by a journalist like what team did he have like written out on his phone? And then he just like reeled off a twenty three, and he's like, "Yeah, this is what we're expecting." I know, mental. He's in the. He's in your head. He's he's playing the mind games.
1: Yeah, and he does like it's just razzy. Like I don't know, listen to him anymore. He just bangs on, doesn't he?
0: <laughs> I listen to every word he says.
1: I I did love that. I love what he's been doing with the um following one team at a time. Oh on yes, Twitter. how good is that? I actually find that so <laughs> funny when it's just like. It's like his kill list. He just like follows one team.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I can't wait. It's going to be such a great game. Um, Guys, so yeah, we've kind of had a bit of a preview now with the you know South Africa going up against England. So the that's kicking off uh, Saturday night at eight pm with New Zealand Argentina kicking off at eight pm on Friday night, and for those are going to be some really great games to watch. Um, but staying on the rugby theme, what else can what else are you reckon you're going to watch this weekend, Ben?
1: Well, Mike, like not just the men's team in action, women's are in action. Uh, the w, ooh, ooh, ooh. WXV group one, so the best of the best kicking off this weekend, and mm-hmm. that does include England. So I'm, I'm watching that Friday, 7 a.m. against Australia.
0: I just love that they were accessible times as well because I say like yourself you're working from home or you know you've got a short commute you can put it on whilst you're having breakfast whilst you're getting ready and just watch some excellent rugby While to start off your morning.
1: It's worth a watch if you've not watched it before it does offer like something slightly different to the men's game like there's yeah, kind of, yeah. a little less kind of power and um like kick focus and more on kind of running and angles and yeah, it's, it's good to watch. So if you haven't given it a go, definitely check that out.
0: You know, you say that, but the, like the lack of power, but you just if if anybody has a spare moment, and I might put it out on socials, but South Africa went up against Scotland last weekend in the Tier 2 nation. And Scotland did manage to win, but the fly half for the South Africa women's team, um, her name's Lily Jansen van Rensburg, Absolutely flattened um, Scotland's. I think it was their fullback, and oh my worst it was like the most ferocious tackle I've ever seen. It was incredible. So just have a high, just go watch the highlights for that one moment yeah. because it was incredible.
1: Hey Mike, I'm not saying there's no power. There is power. It's just the, the oh, yeah. power game. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I just wanted to give Lily a you know a moment in the spotlight.
1: Yeah,
0: um, that was but it's, it's just such. It's just such great attacking rugby and you can watch the England game, but if you want to watch the world champions play, oh. then tune in on Saturday morning when New Zealand go up against France.
1: Oh, man. Hey, we are coming for him. Like, we, we are getting <laughs> the next World Cup. That was an absolute cruel <laughs> final, but hey, Red Roses are coming back. That's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, 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 I'm sure. But I think he's also really great because they're... I think it's Canada and uh they go up against um Wales uh also, but that's at four a.m. So it's a bit it as a lot earlier on Saturday mm. morning. Um but all these teams uh are, are based in New Zealand for this like round robin kind of comp. Mm. And obviously down there they just had the World Cup uh two years ago. So they and obviously their home team just won the World Cup as well. So they absolutely love rugby down there so I would expect the atmosphere at the games and the crowds to be buzzing which just adds to the spectacle really
1: yeah yeah and inaugural competition like everyone wants to be the first name of the trophy
0: like yeah exactly
1: he's big but you know it doesn't stop there premiership kicked off last week that's carrying on and um mm-hmm. and Mike's favorite competition the URC
0: uh oh, URC is the best league. It absolutely blows every league out of the water. So the URC, just a quick little rundown before we end the, I was going to say end the show, end the podcast episode. So the premiership is just obviously for all English teams. The URC are teams from Ireland, Wales, Scotland, and uh, and Italy and South Africa. So all of our like, uh, club teams go head to head. Um and yeah it's just really good I, I really love it Um, so some players some teams are going to have their internationals back
1: I was going to say I wouldn't normally <laughs> recommend the URC but they've got the international players there's none in the press.
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, de- um, but yeah so it'll be really good to see how you know some teams you know integrate those international players back or like the Stormers for example you know how do they go without a lot of their springboks in there still. So um yeah, it'll be really good. And just actually on a completely separate note, I don't know if you watch this as well, Ben, but um the Premiership Rugby documentary just released on Amazon Prime. So this follows the like the final like mm-hmm. the season of last year's season of the Premiership. Um and I just started episode one a couple of days ago with my housemate and we loved it. So if you're new to rugby, it'd be a great, you know, entry into like seeing the behind the scenes and you know what goes on outside of match day. And but if you're a rugby fan, it's just exactly what you want as well.
1: Unreal. I haven't got on it yet, but I am definitely checking that out now.
0: Oh good. Um, but yeah, there's so much other sport and we didn't even manage to go on to the other sports um in a segment. But yeah, I hope you managed to get out this weekend, play some sports, watch some sport, and uh, yeah, be proud to be an armchair ref.
1: Yeah, exactly. Enjoy it all, guys, because it is going to be a cracking weekend, and uh, we'll be back next week.